Well, hello, everybody. It is uh, it's really, really good to see you. And I don't know about you, but that was awesome. And that whole service so far, uh, I hope I don't mess it up here with the talk, but I needed that. I needed this time of worship. And I I'm sure that for you, uh, the same thing is true. God has something for all of us. And we're just glad you're here wherever you are around the world as we all get to connect together like this. And my name is Jeff. I've been away for a little while. I've been on study break. And many of you know about that time. You pray about that time. It's it's when I go away and uh, take some weeks to really plan for the future. So I do sermon series, plan sermon series all the way through next Easter of 2021 and do some directional stuff and just get to think and pray and vision and plan. And that's a, it, it, so thank you for praying for that. It, it really was what it needed to be. It's uh, I was talking to John Townsend. Uh, who spoke last week about it. And he said, yeah, what do you do on that break? And I told him and he's like, why do you call that a break? He said, that sounds pretty intense. He said, I would call that a study intensive, not a study break. I, whatever you want to call it doesn't matter. But I'm just glad to be back. And I am back because it is a different time. I am back with fresh legs and fresh vision, fresh energy, fresh faith. And I'm I'm excited about the fall. And I know it's going to be a different kind of fall. There's going to be this, you know, it's going to be challenging in some ways, but God is at work and there's opportunities we've never had. I believe it'll be the most memorable, most significant fall of our history. And I can't wait to dive into it. And I'm glad you're along for that journey. And, and because I'm coming in with fresh legs, kind of ready to run, it is a little bit ironic in this series that I'm talking about today, what I'm talking about today. So we're in this series called Don't Leave Home Without It, moving toward a new normal. As we're trying to move from pandemic season, it's going to be a while, I guess, into whatever that new normal is. What are the lessons that we want to be sure to bring with us? And today we're talking about embracing slow. We're, we're talking about uh, choosing to kind of rethink our pace, uh, the way in which we live life and embrace slow. And that's why it's a little bit strange. I mean, I'm ready to run, but I also know how important it is, this lesson that we're talking about today, to embrace slow, which is really, really hard to do in our culture. I know it is for me. I don't do slow well. I don't like slow. And in our culture, I'm, I'm sure you can feel that way too, because our culture slow is kind of a kind of a bad word. You know, if you say, "Hey, how was the how was that movie?" and if you if somebody says, "Oh, you know, it was really slow," you'd be like, "Oh, I got to go see that." Or you know, let's say there's two lines that are labeled a slow line and a fast line. Well, of course, everybody's going to choose the fast line. Or slow lane on the road or fast lane on the road. For some of us, fast lanes aren't fast enough, right? We like slow. Or if you describe a person and said, you know, if somebody described me, your pastor, well, he's kind of slow. I wouldn't say, well, thank you, right? That's not a, that's not a compliment because we don't really do slow very well. We're maybe in history, the fastest culture in history, the pace at which we live life. And we think the faster we go, the more we win. But the truth is, I don't think we realize what we lose when we go as fast as we go in our culture, in the pace in which we live our lives. I remember years ago, uh, back there, there was this campaign that the government did, and they had all these signs out on the highways that said speed kills to try to slow people down. And, and that's, of course, true in traffic, but I'm not sure we realize or I realize how much that's true in life. Speed kills. Because speed kills things like depth. 
with God. It, it kills depth with relationships with friends and with people close to us. You and I can't know the heart of a child driving through life at 100 miles an hour. I know because I've tried. I'm just not sure we realize in our culture how to embrace slow. But we had a unique opportunity a, a while back in this pandemic to experience what it's like maybe a little bit to slow down some. You remember that back in March uh, we had shelter in place and the quarantine. And for a lot of us, it's gotten really intense since then. But that was a unique window there for a couple of weeks. Now, I know some of you are in jobs where it got just doubly intense. You were in healthcare or some frontline work or whatever. And and I appreciate you, but I know you didn't get to experience that little two week window of slow. But for most of us, we did. You know, so we were working from home. Uh, school was out, you know, the uh, restaurants were closed except takeout. And and it was it was a unique time. And I know for for Christy and me, um, I don't think I realized until that two weeks how separate our lives were, meaning I've got my job, which is pretty demanding. And she's got her demands and her, you know, she had a job and friends and volunteering and all. And we had different hobbies. And so we're just kind of living kind of parallel lives, but not really, you know, that connected. And then in those two weeks, we spent a lot of time together. You know, we had we we talked in ways we don't usually talk. We ate lunch together and dinner together. We went on bike rides every day. I mean, that was a unique window to realize, wait a minute. It's pretty good. And so let's not move into normal, whatever normal is going to be without at least asking the question, hey, maybe the pace in which I live life in the right way to go. Maybe some of the things we say yes to as a family, maybe we don't say yes to or or. And, and so let's talk about embracing slow. And and we're, who we're going to learn from is pretty important because we're going to learn from Jesus who who embraced slow, who got a lot done, but embraced slow. He lives slower than you and I do. In fact, uh, there was a, I just read about this conversation that a guy had with Dallas Willard. Now, Dallas Willard is an author. He was he's in heaven now, but he was an author and a professor, super smart guy, very godly guy, very deep guy. If you want to read a deep spiritual book, uh, just read a Dallas Willard book. It'll take you a long time. You can only read a Dallas Willard book slow. At least I can. Every phrase is meaningful. So he's a rich guy, just a really great guy. I mean, rich in terms of wisdom and that kind of thing. And uh, and so one time this uh, one of the people who was in a mentoring relationship with him asked him, Dallas, if you were going to use one word to describe Jesus, what word would you choose? Now, think about all the words you could choose, because Jesus is obviously unique. And the one word he cho- and he came out with it right away. The word he chose was. Relaxed. That the thing that made Jesus unique, the one way to describe Jesus relaxed. And when I first read that, I thought, really? Like, that's the word you're going to choose. But he's Dallas Willard. So you got to kind of think about it. Relax. And when you think about it, it is remarkable. When you look at the life of Jesus, as much as he accomplished, he was never in a hurry. He, he moved everywhere at the speed of foot. Like he didn't drive through life at 100 miles an hour walking. What is three miles an hour? I mean, he had a he, he could have gotten a chariot. He couldn't got a horses. He had an urgent mission, but he didn't. He, he never seemed to mind people engaging him. I mean, he just looked for that opportunity uh, whenever he, you know, the disciples he chose were not like fast learners. They were slow learners. Uh, in fact, in Luke, he tells him, you guys are 
guys are pretty slow to believe and slow to learn. He could have chosen hot shots, but he didn't. And he was patient with them. And he waited 30 years to start his ministry. He waits 30 years when he came to this planet um, to preach his first sermon, waits 30 years to do his first miracle. And even then he felt like it was too soon. He he was talked into it by his mom. He didn't mind interruptions. He didn't mind. It just he, he lived a life that I would describe as Dallas said, relaxed. I might say slow. And yet he was also the most impactful, most effective person in history. I mean, you don't have to be a Jesus follower to acknowledge that you may, you know, maybe you don't believe that Jesus was God like I do, or you don't believe that he died on the cross for sin and then rose from the dead and that whole thing. You don't have to believe all that. Just history would say who's the most single, most influential human being on the planet. Any objective person would say, well, it's, it's Jesus. In fact, 2000 years later, it's still Jesus. He's still the most impactful person on the planet. And it makes me ask this question. What if the fastest way to get the most done to become the people we want to become and to have the deep connections with the people we love is to go slow? What if the fastest way is to go slower than we in America tend to go? What if we adjusted to the pace of Jesus? And so we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail to say, well, what does that mean to go slow? Because it's not like he was a slacker. It's not like he just hung out on a couch and watched Netflix all the time. So what does it mean to embrace slow? And the first feature of that is to embrace interruptions. To see interruptions, in fact, as opportunities. Now, I don't know how you live your life, but I am a planner. Like, that's why I'm so excited when I come back from study break and I've got a plan for months ahead because I'm a planner and I feel good when I have it. I feel terrible when I don't. And I like to plan my day. I like to plan my week. And if it were just naturally up to me, I would plan every minute and there really wouldn't be room for anything outside my plan. That's just my natural tendency. And because of that, when I am in that mode, anything outside of my plan is an interruption. But Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus had plans. There's nothing wrong with plans. But he had a lot of margin in his life for interruption. And he saw interruptions not as bothers, but as opportunities. In fact, when you look at Jesus's ministry and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those books in the Bible, most of the great stories we have about Jesus's life, they're all interruptions. They, they weren't planned. They they all these great ministry stories. And I'll just do one day in the life of Jesus. And this is actually not his highest interruption day. It's just an interesting day to me. So his day starts. Um, he wants to. Uh, go to this region called the Gerizines on the other side of this big lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, which is essentially like a lake. And he goes over to this other side. It's a very spiritually dark part of the world at the time. They didn't know about God. And, and he is God, I believe, in human flesh. That's what the Bible teaches. So he, want, he loves them and wants to connect. So he takes his disciples. They get a boat. They go to the region of the Gerizines. And he, he wants to preach like a little evangelistic meeting, if you know what that means. And, and he's going to preach about the kingdom of God. And God's here for you. And I'm here. And I love you. And all that. So he's, he's going to do church. Except there's this demoniac meaning a demon-possessed person, the Gerizim demoniac, lots of demons. He's messed up, and he disrupts Jesus. He interrupts Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, I think I would say, hey, man, we're going to do church. Let's get some people to get that guy somewhere, and we'll deal with him later. But Jesus doesn't do that. 
And he interacts with him and he heals him. He releases this guy from demons. The guy becomes a believer. The people in the town are freaked out. They're like, we don't know what this is all about. We just want you to leave like you're freaking us out. And so Jesus is like, all right. So he gets in the boat. They leave. They go to the other side. When they go to the other side, back in the nation of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament era. I mean, he's going to set up church again. There's all there's a whole crowd of people. He's there to preach about the good news that God has come and all that. So he's he's about to do church over there, except there's another interruption. And it's a guy named Jairus who was the leader of the synagogue in that area. It says when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he's by the lake. So he's about to do church, except then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, if it were me, honestly, I'd feel for the person. I'd want to do whatever I could. And I'd say, you know what? We're going to do church and then, you know, we'll we'll go see your daughter. But Mark 5, 24. So Jesus went with them. He's just like, you know what? Church can wait. And he Goes with this guy and goes to his house where this little daughter could die at any moment. So on the way, now Jairus would have been really urgent, right? Because he knows he's got to get Jesus there before she dies and so that she could be healed. But Jesus on the way, there's this whole crowd that's with them. There's a lady who's been sick forever her whole life. And she reasons, hey, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. That's a lot of faith. And she touches the hem of his garment. He feels that God responds to that faith and heals her right there. And Jesus starts interacting with her. And they have this long conversation. You can imagine Jairus was like, come on, lady, you, you got what you wanted. But my daughter and, you know, we got to get there. And, and, you know, she could die at any moment. He's afraid of that. And sure enough, that's what happens. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, remember the word bother, because that's the way they saw it. You're bothering him. He had a plan. You've interrupted that plan. And now why? Because she's not even alive anymore. So why bother the teacher anymore? But Jesus overhears that overhearing what they said. Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. He basically looks at him and says, hey, relax. Now, I don't know about you. But when I'm agitated, especially something this urgent and this emotional, I mean, somebody looks at me and says, hey, chill, relax. It doesn't go over well. It's like, oh, you know, like if you know this, if you have teenagers or ever had teenagers and you're agitated about something, getting on to them about something and they'll look at you and say, relax, chill, no big deal. You want to say, I'll show you a big deal. I'll show you relax. Right. You just want to, ah, you know, like that. And I'm sure Jairus had some of that going on. They could relax. You know, just chill. Don't be afraid. Just believe. What are you talking about? But Jesus knew what he was talking about because he has power over life and death. And so they go to the house. He raises the little girl from the dead and she's fine. And it's a great story. But I want us to go back to the word bother. Because what other people see as a bother, Jesus saw as an opportunity. Because he had margin in his life to live that way. He he wasn't bothered. He was honored to be able to be in Jairus's life, to be able to do this for this little girl. And he had margin in his life to do that. And that's a challenge to me because I will not naturally live that way. And I have uh, over the last few years actually tried to change that. 
to put margin in my schedule, margin in my day for interruptions. I, I have to plan that. Like I plan time for interruptions. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but if I don't, I, it just, I, it, I, it doesn't work. And so I have time in my week. I have time in different days. They're just interruptible times and people can meet with me whenever they want, especially before the coronavirus thing happened. And and those are always good times. Some of my best times come in that non-planned, interruptible time. And if nobody's meeting with me, I'll just go interrupt other people around the office or call people and interrupt them and just say, hey, how can I be helpful? But you and I have to make a choice if we're so filled up then we won't live like Jesus. And most of Jesus's ministry would never have happened if Jesus lived the way that I will naturally tend to live. So that's the first part is to embrace interruptions, to have margin in our life, to be able to see. And that's it. when we're at home. That's when we're at work, when we're in the neighborhood, whatever, just to say, OK, God, I want to be a blessing to people today. So interrupt me. Whoever wants to interrupt me, God, just just help me be loving and, and help me see it as an opportunity. Also means embracing R and R. And by R and R, you know, rest, relaxation, replenishment, recreation, whatever R you want to use. There's a lot of good R words. But to, it's basically about self care. And Jesus, you know, he he was busy. It wasn't like he was a slacker, but he took time for self care. He took time for rest. He took time for relaxation. And and we see that in a lot of ways. Like one of the ways he does that is he takes naps. And it's in the Bible. And that he takes naps, which is, is remarkable to me because God, he is God, the savior of the world and a napper. And, uh, and without apology, he took time to, to do that. You know, I, I've mentioned last time I spoke a few weeks ago that Christy and I, my wife, Christy, are really pumped because we're going to be grandparents. And uh, at the end of October is when Kenzie, our daughter-in-law, is due. And uh, we could not be more excited about that. In fact, we just found out that. Our grandbaby is going to be a granddaughter, and that's awesome because I grew up with a brother, and my brother has three nephews, and we know nieces. So we, in my family, there's no girls, and I've never been around a little baby girl, and I can't wait to have a little baby granddaughter. And I know we're going to spoil her like crazy. In fact, I'm just going to, I think, wear a little sign around my neck that says, yes, honey, whatever you want. Because I'm not going to tell her no. There's no way. Um, I can't wait for this little girl. And, and I asked a couple of weeks ago, hey, I need a granddad name and, you know, send in, you know, recommendations. And many of you have. And one of the recommendations was Napa. And there was an explanation with it that uh, that Napa, this granddad, earned that name because he's such a prolific napper. He takes naps a lot. And so Napa was just the, well, Jesus, I mean, he didn't have kids. He didn't get married. He didn't have grandkids. But if he did, you'd call him Napa because one of the things we see him do in the Bible is he took, he took naps. And if I were God, I wouldn't put that in the Bible. I, I'm embarrassed. I take naps every Friday before I, before I speak. And I, but that's kind of embarrassing to me, which is weird. Maybe it's embarrassing, but I, I just wouldn't do that. I, but Jesus was a napper. He also participated in Sabbath. Um, Sabbath is a biblical principle. If you know, you know, the six days of creation and then on the seventh day, God rested. And it's in one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath. And and Jesus honored that. And there's a uh, the, the Sabbath is basically a 24 hour period of time where you only do that, which is restorative. That That's God's like that's how we're created to work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and then have a day that you play. 
have a day that you recreate, have a day that you refresh spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, so on. And when you see Jesus come in the New Testament, he does that. But he didn't do it like the way other people did it. So by the time Jesus came, he had all these religious police. You ever been around people like that who think, you know, they're like somehow God gave them a whistle to tell everybody else the way they should do everything. And and the, it's not true, but that's the way they feel. And the Pharisees in Jesus's day were those people and they were very legalistic and they had hundreds of rules. Of this, this is what you can do on the Sabbath. This is what you can't do. And this is and it was laborious, just even knowing what they were, much less doing them. And and Jesus violated all those things just right in front of the Pharisees, I think, just for fun. And um, but also to make a point. And one time he uh, was doing something they didn't like. Oh, you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I mean, it's not that we're a slave to the Sabbath and we got to be slavish to it and make it. It's got to be this drudgery. God gave Sabbath as a gift to us. Like it's for us. It's whatever is restorative for us. A 24 hour period of time that we do that. One time I I went to this uh, CEO training that this was right before I became the lead pastor of this church and a wealthy Business guy who's been a CEO of a large company said, man, you got to go through this. And, and he actually sent me and about 10 other pastors around the country to this thing that none of us would have been able to afford. It was all CEOs of really large companies there. And it was a, a three day training. And they told you how to kind of think about your calendar and build it around three types of days. And but one of the days was a, was something they called a free day. And a free day, they defined as a 24-hour period of time where you do only that which is restorative and you make sure you have at least one free day a week. They tried to get you to do two, but at least one free day a week. And they had all this evidence, like they had, they'd spent millions of dollars doing all these studies to show how when CEOs of large companies took a free day every week, how their creativity went up. Their uh, job performance went up, not just their job performance, but the performance of the company went way up and people working with them. Their joy quotient went up and all this stuff and and how just everything was better when they did that. And they spent millions of dollars to show it. And they were trying to convince everybody. And as a pastor, I kind of wanted to raise my hand. I didn't and just say, hey, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, like because it's in there. It's called this thing called I'm like you could have saved millions of dollars. Just read the Bible. It's, it's there because it's the way we're created. You and I were created for that rhythm. Now, Jesus, in the Old Testament, the way God set it up, there are all these other feast days. About one out of every four days was a non-work day. When you put Sabbath in the feast days, Jesus did all of them. And what if you and I just decided to, to, to do that? It's not easy to do. I've never been able to really do it. Um, I, I have one day off a week, which is Saturday, and you know some of it's replenishment, but you've got all the junk you've got to do uh, that you can't do. You know, on other days and they just build up and, and you got to do it. And, and, you know, I get that. But somehow this year I'm going to try to figure out how to do better, how to do that other stuff some other way and actually honor Sabbath. Jesus did. And it's one of the reasons he was so effective. And embracing slow also means we embrace relationships, because here's the thing about relationships. They only grow slow. You, you can't rush a relation. You can't rush relational depth. Um, relationships that go deep take lots of unhurried time. Now, we're going to do a whole series. Our next series is on relationships, the secret sauce, I think we're calling it. And we'll talk about that more. But when you see the way Jesus relates, he just 
He hangs out with people a lot. And here he is, the most like important person on the planet in history. He's got the most important mission on the planet. But he hangs out with people all the time. And those closest to him, he hung out even more, but also other people. Like one of the remarkable stories to me is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world, be raised from the dead. He's going to be before that. He's going to be arrested and and tortured. He knows all that's going to happen. It's heavy. He I mean, I would have been very preoccupied walking into Jerusalem. But in the suburbs of Jerusalem, in this little town is a little guy named Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus. You know, you may have heard about him if you grew up in church. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. That's all I remember. And he climbs up in this sycamore tree so he can see Jesus. And he's so curious about Jesus. And so Jesus is going to Jerusalem, going to the cross, doing all that stuff. And he sees Zacchaeus up in that tree. Of course, he's God. He knows who Zacchaeus is. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to hang out with this guy. And so he goes right to Zacchaeus and says, hey, um, why don't you get down from the tree and we're going to hang out. I'm going to, I'm going to, you're, I'm going to eat dinner at your place tonight. And you got a big house. He was a tax collector. Everybody hated back then. Jesus didn't hate anybody. And he said, so, um, and you got a big house cause you're a rich guy. And I'm just going to, I'm going to stay at your house tonight. And we're going to hang. And he did. And he spends like 12 hours with this guy and his life has changed forever. Zacchaeus' life has changed forever, but, but I'm not sure I would have done that. Not then, but Jesus just had a way of life where he hung out with people a lot in relationships demand that. Like I said a little bit earlier, um, you know, you when speed kills, we talked about that. You and I cannot know the heart of a child going 100 miles an hour or the heart of our spouse or the heart of our friend. It takes time, unhurried, slow time to build relationships. And some of you are good at that. Those of you who are more relational oriented than task oriented. I admire you for that. You might need a sermon that says, hey, sometimes you got to do some tasks. But for me as a task oriented person, more than a relationship oriented person, it is very easy for me to load my life up with tasks and just say, I'll get to relationships when I can't. And in the long run, that leads to deep regret. Because you look back on your life and most of us don't think, wow, I had some days where I checked off everything on my to do list. We look back on our life and think about relationships. And that's what we appreciate the most because that's the way we're wired. Jesus embraced the slowness that relationships demand. And for some of you, like I said, you just do that. Or others of us, man, it takes some effort to put margin in our life to do that. So let's put all this together because we're talking about embracing slow and embracing slow is it's just not an easy thing to embrace. Uh, at least not for me, and, and certainly in this culture, we're a fast culture. And, and as we look at the way Jesus lived, not a slacker, the most impactful person ever, he just had a lot of margin in his life. He was able to embrace interruptions, embrace R&R, and embrace relationships. And these are things that made him more effective, not less effective. And so I don't know what God's saying to you, which ones of these you'd say, you know what? I need to do my life differently to not see interruptions as interruptions, but opportunities. And I need to be more interruptible when I'm at work or in my house or, uh, you know, I, I need to seek out interruptions. I mean, I just need to say, hey, how can I be helpful to you? Um, how can I pray for you? That kind of, and and our, I think the best stories in our life will come out of that because that's what you see in Jesus. Embrace R&R. For some of you, that thing was Sabbath or just time away or whatever. I mean, right now it's been 
Why? I mean, how do you get away? Right. And but you say, man, we, we need to figure out somehow how to do this Sabbath thing. That'd be a great thing to do as we move into our new normal. Embrace relationships. Again, relationships take unhurried time. And are we giving it the time that it demands and seeing the opportunities we have when we're putting our kids to bed and not rushing that, but letting it go longer or whatever it is that we're doing to embrace the slowness that relationships demand? Because, you know, a lot of us claim to follow Jesus and the thing about following somebody is if you're going faster than they are, you're not following them anymore. And you think, well, at least we're still, you know, I'm ahead, but at least, you know, going the same direction. You don't know that. It's a way to get lost, right? If you're following somebody and you get ahead of them, you don't even know if you're on the right path anymore. And, and, and so maybe for a lot of us in, in a culture like this, we need to slow down and live the pace of Jesus. And we're about to pray about this because I think in a country like America, we, we're going to need divine help to pull it off. But let's just ask him, God, how can I embrace slow? And as we go from, you know, where we've been and this craziness of the pandemic and things are starting to open up and now they're kind of tightening up, but they'll open up. And what am I going to say yes to and all the things? God, let me let me do that with your pace in mind. Help me embrace slow. Let's pray together. Father, um, I thank you for just the life of Jesus that we have, because we know how you would want us to live. And in a world, in a culture that is so fast, God, help us learn to embrace slow, to live more like Jesus in that way. And God, I pray you'd speak into our heart right now, God, whatever it is that you want us to embrace specifically, whether it's interruptions or R&R or relationships or something else, just speak to us and then give us the ability to pull it off. Lord, thank you that you always enable obedience and we need your help here. In Jesus' name, amen.